the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 uh, talks about Jesus Christ's return, but it tells us a little bit how to live uh, right at the end, no matter what age you're in. It says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things, hold fast to what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. This is Bert Harper along with Dr. Alex McFarland, and it's our joy to be with you on Exploring the Word. And we have been in the book of 1 Thessalonians, and we're in the last chapter. The last part, chapter 4 and chapter 5, deal with the second coming of the Lord. But I'd remind you, every chapter, the way they have it divided, chapters 1 through 5, at the end of each one of those chapters, you'll have something said about the return of Jesus Christ. And so we live in expectation. Alex, we live in expectation of the Lord's return at any time. Let me see. Did it start in 1900 or did it start in the first century when Paul was looking for his return? Oh, I think it started just uh, shortly after the ascension when the angel said, You men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing into the heavens? This same Jesus, who you have seen go, will return in like manner. And so from the very beginning, it's been part of the, the Christian church to, to know that the Lord is coming back. Christ is coming back one day. And uh, I'm so glad we're studying First and Second Thessalonians. It really is meaty. And, you know... Uh, I read a quote, Bert, and we'll get into the meat of 1 Thessalonians 5, but I thought this was well said. Quote, the Bible is meant to be bread for daily use, not just <laughs> cake for special occasions. Amen. Amen. And so it's, it's nutritious, spiritual food for our soul. But one of those realities, and Bert, I think it keeps us, you know, focused and, and the Lord is the priority to remember that we're going to see the Lord one day, uh, either by death or Christ's return, we will see the Savior. And and it could be today, I I believe. And you look at the world situation, maybe, maybe we're very likely near the return of Christ. Amen. And we want to, when, when we stand before Jesus, we want to be found ready. Amen, Alex. Let, I was talking to my wife, Jan, today, and we were talking about some things that's taken place. And yes, we know about the, the virus. We know about Afghanistan, and we're praying for those believers there. They are constantly being killed. They're being hunted down and killed, regardless of what Taliban mm. says and promises that are given. So we call on you to help pray for them. But Alex, I, I'm just telling you, we was reading about uh, this couple that was up in Michigan, on Lake Michigan, at one of the, you know, beaches there. And this 19-year-old man came and shot them and then committed suicide himself. The man has died. The woman's in the hospital seriously, critically. Mm. And uh, Jen and I were talking about this because it was connected with uh, someone that our son uh, knows. And uh, I was, we were talking about it, and I said, lawlessness. This, uh, of all the things 
Uh, we've had it, but right now the lawlessness that is taking place in social society, we're also talking about in Islamic society, the lawlessness is there. And it, what that has the idea, it has either the approval of the leadership or the leadership doesn't care. And they mm. had b- basically a shootout in Portland uh, yeah. with, yeah. with Antifa and the Proud Boys going at it. And again, uh, this show's not talking. We we're not, uh, you know, news-driven. We're biblically driven. But the Bible has something to say about these things, so we don't ignore them. But lawlessness seems to be gaining tread, Alex. Yeah, well, that's because the thing that has held back lawlessness, not only for 240-plus years of American history, but really for 2,000 years of Western civilization, that thing which has held lawlessness at bay, which is the Judeo-Christian moral code, has all but been scrubbed and erased from the public consciousness. The reason that we are descending into chaos pandemonium and lawlessness is because, uh, as Adrian Rogers said, he was a great minister. In fact, I would urge you to seek out the books and the videos of Adrian Rogers. But he said, we've torn down the fences. And and just like, you know, fence and, and boundaries can hold in livestock and, you know, property is protected by boundaries. Well, the boundaries that held society together were things like the family, the nuclear family, mother, dad, children, the church, and the moral consciousness of the culture. Call it uh, the Ten Commandments, the Judeo-Christian moral code. But Adrian Rogers said the hedge of protection has been forcibly torn down, and we're paying the price for it. Yes, we are. And let's talk about this, the day of the Lord, and we might need to identify the day of the Lord. Let me read chapter 5, verse 1. We finished chapter 4, and, and chapter 4 brings introduction. We believe that is the rapture. Uh, we'll be caught up in the Lord, in the air with the Lord, the day of the Lord forever. And we talked about that was the key. Yes, I want to be caught up. I will be caught up if I'm, well, I'll be caught up either way being dead and being raised or being alive when he comes back, I'm going to be caught up, the rapture. But chapter 5 seems to begin the day of the Lord. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all sons of light and sons of the day. We're not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Alex, here, I love this passage. It has a pro- promises and it has warnings. We better get ready. The whole idea... Don't let this surprise overtake you. And it says, concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. In other words, Alex, I may interpret this wrong, but we need to be ready no matter what season, no matter what year, no matter what times, we stay ready. And as we see the day approaching, just like it says in the scriptures in Hebrews, 
as you see the day approaching, you need to gather together more and more. So as we see the last days coming to the last of the last days, uh, we better have ourselves and have have everything in order, hadn't we? Well, that's true. That that is absolutely true. And I, you know, I really like how verse six concludes: "Let us then not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober." or watchful, really the word means vigilant. And an interesting part of the word sober, um, and it doesn't merely mean not intoxicated, and no Christian should be intoxicated, but um, in your mind, in your soul, in your worldview, your priorities, um, there's two, two nuances to this word that are worth pointing out. One is circumspect. And that refers to like 360 degrees, a circle in every direction. Uh, our, our look should be Godward and scriptural. But it also means calm, uh, sober. Um, and, and Bert, when I think of um, calmness or stability in the heart and the outlook of a Christian, um, I think of not emotion-driven, not quick-tempered or angry, uh, not quickly frightened or, you know, worried or depressed, I honestly think the calmness, the the sobriety of soul, if you will, that we have as a believer, it's because we are on that unshakable rock of Jesus who is truth, who is eternal. And if you've fed your soul on the truth of God, which is beyond time, timeless, uh, you can be stable in your emotions, can't you? You can, and we need to be that way. I, I, they're looking for stability. Honestly, people, uh, you know, with children, one of the greatest things is have parents there, a father and a mother. Um, mm. I, I've noted, you know, during storms, now this is when I was a child, we did not have the weather channel. And so, you know, storms came quickly without a lot of warning. We didn't have all the the ability to communicate that in those days and so but we would have the radio on and they'd say there's a possibility of a tornado and i i'm telling you when my dad was there uh there was a calmness in my spirit that okay my dad's here uh i'll be okay uh if my dad happened to be gone because he was at a field and it came up quickly I was anticipating him coming because he brought that stability into my life even as a young child. And what mm. this relationship does with us through Christ Jesus to the Heavenly Father is to bring that stability, Alex, that steadfastness that you were talking about, that we can depend upon him. We know uh, that we have him. He is our shepherd. He, he's the one that is the overseer of our soul. So when the day of the Lord comes we need to be ready now i want to read what dr david jeremiah said about the day of the lord i thought this was is put in words that i it was better than i could say he says this the day of the lord includes everything that happens from the rapture all the way through the tribulation and the millennium it is a time of judgment that will begin when we least expect it like a thief in the night so alex mm. we should be ready and that thief in the night what does a thief come and do? It takes that which he is valuable, you know? Yeah, exactly. And so Christ and is going to come back at the rapture, and he's going to take that which is valuable, isn't he? 
<laughs> well, absolutely, absolutely. And, and you know what? That's why Malachi talks about when the Son of Man returns to take up his jewels. Jewels, amen. You know? Hey, you know something about being ready? Um, this is... <laughs> More than a decade ago, but I started teaching at North Greenville University in upstate South Carolina, and I was there for eight years. Um, but I had just gotten there, and I was, you know, to teach apologetics and worldview. And uh, one day, I was packing up to leave, and um, I had a long drive. I had about a three-hour drive to a speaking engagement. But a student came in and was talking about he was going to withdraw from school because he was worried about money and maybe a certain scholarship he wanted didn't come through. And, you know, he, so I, I was in a hurry, but I thought, you know, I should talk to this young man. And I said, listen, um, it's, it's hard work, but you need to stay in school and you need to graduate and North Greenville is good and God bless you. And let me pray for you. And I, I probably spent 25, 30 minutes talking to this young man and best way I could, I gave him some advice. Um, and he, we prayed, and he agreed to stay in school. Well, unbeknownst to me, the president of the university was outside the door listening the whole time. And this young man left, and in walks uh, Dr. Epting, who was the president then. And I was, you know, the new hire. I had just started, and this was about the very same time I started being on AFR. But anyway, he said, I have never heard a better faculty members say something to help encourage a young person and I know it's everybody's left and you stay anyway my point is I was really glad I was at my post because I didn't know but the president was listening be at your post and when you do meet Jesus be found faithful doing what you're supposed to do amen serve the Lord now and forever don't ever advocate be that watchman on the wall ready to serve we'll be back in just a moment. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Ali Kowar, Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary for the Employee Benefit Security Administration. His office administers, regulates, and enforces the provisions that establish minimum standards for pension plans in private industry. Leviticus 19.32 reminds us of the importance of respecting and caring for our elders. You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Ali Kawar in his work with our nation's pension plans. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Dr. Tony Evans says the same God who gives us grace gives us commands. How do we reconcile those two sides of the Lord? We'll hear a story that illustrates the answer as we spend two minutes with Tony. It's like the man who was in and saw the wagon run away with a little boy in it. And he saw the wagon, the horse was dragging the wagon, the boy would be killed. The young man ran over and he was able to get to the horse and he stopped the horse and he saved the young man's life. The young man grew up and the young man became a very terrible boy. He became a terrible young adult and he began to commit all kinds of crimes. He was finally found for committing a dastardly crime. He was brought before the judge. When the young man looked up, he noticed that the judge was the same man who had saved him when he was a boy. It was time for him to be sentenced. 
That's when the young man said to the judge, Your Honor, I don't know if you remember, but I'm the boy you saved when I was young. What he was hoping was, because he reminded him of that, that he would get a less sentence. That's when the judge said, well, back then, I was your savior. But right now, I am your judge. Right now, God is your savior. When you stand before him, he's going to be your judge. And he's going to want to know then, what did you do with my salvation in ruling your life as a member of my kingdom when you stand before me at the judgment seat of Christ? Don't let him just be a king. Let him be the king. Don't just let him be a king or the king. Make him the king of all kings. If you're ready to recognize Jesus' kingship by committing your life to him, visit TonyEvans.org, click on the top menu, and follow the Jesus link. He'll explain what it means to be a real Christian and describe the amazing difference it'll make in your life today and for eternity. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Somehow you see through my heart And you welcome me with open arms Just as I am in the good and the bad 1 Thessalonians 5, 7 For those who sleep do their sleeping at night And those who get drunk get drunk at night But since we are of the day, let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with Him. Uh, welcome back to Exploring the Word. Bert and Alex, we're in First Thessalonians 5. In just a moment, we'll get to the phone calls. We would love to hear from you. And the number is 888-589-8840. Hey, Bert, you've heard the old saying that a man is known by the company he keeps. I remember reading a quote one time that said that a man is also known by the company he avoids. <laughs> oh, and, yeah. And, you know, 789, <laughs> remind us that, look, um, if you've embraced Jesus and you're a believer, we are of the day. We're of the light. We're not of the, the night and the darkness. And uh, the Bible speaks of abstaining from the unfruitful works of darkness. And sometimes that means that there is company that now in our new life we avoid. Alex, uh, I was a youth minister as you were. And when I was a youth minister talking to youth, that's one of the things that I really tried to convey to those students that I was working with. Uh, friendship and hanging around are pals. And I, I use the word pal, P-A-L, that yeah, yeah. Th these are guys or gals that you spend time with, that you uh, try to notch out time in your schedule to be around. But you can have a distant friendship, and I call them concentric circles. And, and I would show them that the center circle should be these people that encourage you and you encourage them. You challenge them, uh, iron sharpens iron. I'd go over that with them as believers. I'd talk about them courting or dating and how they better watch out trying to do missionary dating or evangelism dating. Be careful on that. Don't do oh, it. Oh, my goodness, And yes. then I'd go to the other circle. These are the people that are friends that, 
that you want to stay in contact with, but you limit your time with them. Uh, you, you're concerned with them and you want to maintain something that they might call upon you in a time in their life when they're asking for help. And then you have those outside the third circle and, uh, you know, you better be careful. They are guys and gals that are going in the wrong direction and they're trying to pull everything up. And then I would try to do this and I'm sure you've done it too. I'd, I'd get a chair there, a strong chair, and I would have one of the youth to stand on the chair. And then I'd have someone, and I always had someone stronger and bigger down on the ground, and I'd tell the person on the chair, now, try to help this guy up on the chair. And, of course, they couldn't do it, and the guy that was on the floor pulled him down. And I said, this Mm. is what I'm talking about, pals. You better be careful who you spend all this time with. And it was a word picture, and uh, even today, man, 34 something years later uh some of those youth that are now adults and uh you know quite a bit older gray-headed and they have children even grandchildren they've come and said man brother bird i remember that that stuck in my head wow. and so be careful about that alex you're exactly right about some uh ones you avoid others you you want to get to know and to be a part of their lives yeah, you know, Dr. Falwell at Liberty, Jerry Falwell used to always say, uh, tell me who your friends are, and I'll know who you're going to be in the next 10 years. And listen, obviously, we're to witness to people, and, and we don't, you know, ostracize anybody from our lives. Uh, I mean, I don't. Uh, in terms of if somebody really needed something and help, and I had a chance to lead them to Christ, of course, we're going to do what we can to be in the lives of people as a witness. But yeah, Bert, when I got saved at age 21 as a college student and I had played in bands and played up and down Tate Street in Greensboro, and some of you that have ever been to Greensboro, you know where Tate Street is over by the university. But Bert, I had to get away from that, and I did. And I thank God for it. You know, looking back, I just I thank God for how the Spirit of the Lord and some mature believers really gently coached me into walking the path of righteousness with Jesus because, um, and, you know, let me just say this, a lot of my friends from back in the, you know, uh, the rock and roll band days in college and the, the beer parties, a lot of my friends have gotten saved one by one over the last 30 years. But when I had clasped the hand of Jesus, I knew I had to get out of that. And you know, we say this in the spirit of the First Thessalonians 5 because, um, look, if you're a disciple, this is why we, we so emphasize being in church because iron sharpens iron, and there's just something about being regular with the body of believers, worshiping, hearing the Word of God, growing, being around other Christians, and it it prompts you in your Christian walk. And, and I think the Lord... When he organized the, the ecclesia, the called-out assembly, that was brilliance on the part of the Lord in birthing the church, because being a part of the body of believers, it helps us to stay on the path. And I'll say this, I'll throw it back to you, establishing good habits in place of old habits. Amen. You know? Yeah. Uh, Because I've seen many a new believer go through that struggle of really repenting and 
being, you know, you're on a new path, so walk like it. <laughs> Alex, walk it's like called, it. yeah, it's called the principle, I call it, let me, the principle of replacement. God has replaced death with life. God has, re, you know, replaced darkness with light. You know, that's what he's saying. Mm-hmm. But you've got some responsibilities to replace. You've got to replace where you go. You've got to replace of what you do. You may even have to replace your language, what you see. You catch what I'm saying? So it, this this salvation, yes, it is from God, but we enter into cooperation with God in sanctification. With his redemption, when I come to him, it's he's paid the price, and I've surrendered to him. It's him that's chosen to come into my life. He chose that, and I, I have opened my life up. But when it comes to living discipleship and sanctification, it is cooperation. We cooperate with the Holy Spirit in our lives. And Mm -hmm. so here, I think that's what it's talking about here. And notice what he does here. Now, you got to remember, 1 Thessalonians is possibly the first book uh, that Paul wrote that we have in the New Testament. Some people right, think Galatians right. may have been close by, but we know Galatians, 1 Thessalonians, and 2 Thessalonians, they're the first three. But notice what he does here. He introduces us to the very the armor, the armor, the spirit armor, uh, the armor of a Christian. And he, he doesn't list all of them the way he would later on in one of his letters, but he said mm-hmm. the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet of hope of salvation. So he is already telling us, guess what? That God has given us the equipment to do this. You catch what I'm, you know, he doesn't leave us. He doesn't leave us without the equipment. Now, we've been talking about Afghanistan, and one of the horrible things that's taken place is the way they pulled out, it left all those weapons that the American soldiers had used and led them there, and now the Taliban They've even been putting on the uniforms and showing the guns and everything. Mm. And so, you know, weaponry is so important. So going back, God has given us all the weapons we need in order to not walk in the flesh, but walk in the Spirit. You know, it's so interesting here where in verse 8 it talks about the the breastplate of faith and love, and the, the wording there is the word from which we get the word thoracic or thorax, uh, like, you know, the chest cavity, a thoracic surgeon. And so why does it speak of uh, faith and love? Faith means we trust Christ, and love, he loves us, we love and obey him. Well, the heart, just as, you know, your, your, um, within your chest cavity is your heart, um, it's a heart issue. Christian obedience and discipleship. Uh, Verse 11, where we were, says, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. Earlier in the letter, Paul had said, speaking of brotherly love and fellowship, um, I know you're doing this, and this is my great joy. This is my life that you're living for the Lord. I I like how Paul uh, assumes the best, and, and he sort of gently um, encouraging them in their walk and their witness by saying, now I know this is how you're doing it, really. Yeah. He says, but, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. 
Uh, I'm reading 12 and 13, Bert, um, and I think he's saying, look after your preacher. (laughs) (laughs) Amen, I would say that. I think verse 11 introduces that because it says comfort each other. Now, I could not help but think of the comforter, and it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that we're able to do that as as well as we can, Alex. Uh, you know, uh, he's notice he's given us gifts of the Spirit, and one of the gifts of the Spirit is the gift of encouragement, of exhortation. So comfort yeah. each other, edify one another, build each other up, don't tear each other down. You remember the scripture that we said earlier, don't be busybodies? Guess what busybodies usually do? They tear 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 down. down. And here he says, don't do that. Comfort each other, build each other, just as you're doing. Continue in it. And as you said, I agree with you, what what you said about 12 and 13. And and he is is saying, brethren, acknowledge those who labor among you. Uh, You know, Paul would say he had every right to get income when he was at a church. But some of those times, because of the situation, he did not demand it, and he used his skill as a tent maker. Uh, He was a, quote, bivocational missionary. And uh, we're living in a day when I praise God for bivocational pastors. Alex, especially out there on a lot of the fronts where they're small churches and it's they're starting and the, the pastor comes along and I, I just want to know we talk to them here as they call in they they are on their job working and we feed them and it says it helps them on Sunday morning and Wednesday nights or whenever as they go to their pulpits because they've been here and exploring the word and it encourages them because they're not able to spend as much time in the word studying as those of us who. Uh, have the privilege and of of being able to mm. have income that allows us to get into the Word and study and encourage one another. So, you know, I, but yes, they're worthy. I think double honor is according to yeah. what Paul said. Well, exactly. And it goes on and it says, uh, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly. This is verse 14. Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Fourteen is just such a great verse. Uh, it, you know, it could be um, four ways to handle different types of people within the church. You know, admonish, encourage, help, be patient. Uh, you've got, uh, well, you've got a, a verb and a noun. You know, because in any church, there there are going to be some that are unruly. There are going to be some that need encouragement because they're faint-hearted. There are going to be some that are weak that need help. And who needs patience? All of us. <laughs> That's the Everyone. one that gets me, Alex. Patience. Patience with who? All. I, I wish he had said patience with the ones that you want to. You know, that would have been yeah. a lot easier. But patience with all? <laughs> oh, uh, man. I, Bert, I, I thank <laughs> God for the people who've been patient all with me. me. Thank you, Alex, for reminding me. I was thinking of the ones that I hadn't been patient with, and now you've said that and convicted me, brother. <laughs> oh, my goodness. People have been so patient with me. But And very famous verse, verse 15, See to it that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Um, verse 16 is one of those famous short verses, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, verse 17. In everything give thanks, for this is 
the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Um, before we get to some of these short verses, very famous, 1 Thessalonians 5, but don't repay evil for evil. I mean, that's just kind of almost become like a saying or an axiom, isn't it? And remember, Jesus had said, you know, um, when, when all men curse you, you know, bless them and you'll heap hot coals upon their head. That's one of the marks of a spirit-led person, that we don't, we don't go tit for tat. We don't return evil for evil, um, even if we're mistreated or whatever. And that's part of, you know, just life in a fallen world. Now, we got to remember, and Bert, I'm going to say this, I want to throw it to you. Just as I think the greatest motivator for love and service and obedience, and just it is the pathway to joy, the greatest motivator is gratitude, right? But one of the greatest incentives to behave as a Christian is to remember who we represent. See, see, I don't just represent Alex McFarlane. I represent Jesus. I can't just fly off and say whatever comes into my head because even if it was only Alex, I ought to care enough about myself to behave and be courteous. But we've got to remember fundamentally we are the representatives of Jesus. We're, we represent Christ, and we are not our own. So we don't repay evil for evil, um, and we don't fly off with road rage or, or give the poor clerk at the store a verbal beatdown because we represent Jesus, and we might be the only Christianity that total stranger knows about. Pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. You're to pursue it. You're not to just go along in life. You're to pursue that which is good. We want to take your phone calls, and that's coming up in the next segment. The phone number is 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. Ask us your Bible questions. Alex and I will do our best to give you a biblical answer. The American Family Association's mission is to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. Our goal is to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Here are some of our core values. AFA aims to evangelize the lost and disciple the believer. AFA aims to strengthen biblical marriages and equip parents to raise godly children. Thank you for standing with us as we seek to stop the erosion of godly values. Target is in the bullseye because of its transgender bathroom policy. A petition by the American Family Association to boycott Target now surpassing a million signatures and counting. People have their own beliefs and stuff, but what could it hurt? What could it hurt? What could it hurt? Could it, hurt? it hurts our daughters. It hurts you. It hurts our families. It hurts me. It hurts all of us. Sign the petition to boycott Target at AFA.net. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. When queried by the Pharisees concerning the greatest commandment, Jesus answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. He then said the second greatest commandment is, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He didn't simply say you shall love your neighbor. He said Christ followers must love our neighbors as ourselves. Christian duty requires us to employ discernment and active empathy. We worship our Lord when we put ourselves in one another's shoes 
as we do life together and resolve misunderstandings. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner or visit the podcast page at AFR.net for more from Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with today's Moving Forward Minute. Psalm 144 verse 12 says, May our sons be like plants full grown, our daughters like corner pillars. A man passing the construction site of St. Paul's Cathedral met three stonemasons. What are you doing, he asked. The first said, I'm laying bricks. The second said, I'm stirring mortar. The third looked up and answered quite differently. He said, I'm building a great cathedral. Parents and grandparents, you might say, I'm changing diapers over and over, or I'm teaching this child to tie her shoes, or I'm delivering this child to practice. But don't forget to look up. Teach your child God's Word. Pray for your child over and over, because the real task by God's power and help is to build your child's life for God's glory. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 8.30 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. Be silent before me so that I may speak. Then let come upon me what may. Why should I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in my hands? Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Job 13, 13 through 15. American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Jesus is enough. Jesus is Welcome back, and uh, every time we hear that, we praise God for Devin Patrick. He knows some of these great songs, and <laughs> so, again, Devin, our, our producer, our board op, what a great guy. We enjoy working with him, but he also, man, he knows those Southern Gospel songs, doesn't he, Alex? It, he really does. He really does, and, and you know, folks, this is fundamentally a Bible teaching show primarily, but all three of us like music, and uh, we're blessed to have Devin Patrick because he's more than just a good board operator. He really knows good music. He does. Hey, I want to make sure uh, that everybody remembers we still have room for the Pastor and Wife Fishbowl Retreat coming up in October, October the 19th, 20th, and 21st at Pickwick Landing State Park, the lodge there, uh, right on the Tennessee River near T- Savannah, Tennessee. And uh, it's coming up, so register you pastors and wives and re- uh, talk to your pastor and wife, see if they want to come in a Sunday school class, elders, deacons, whatever, an individual, uh, pay their way. And it's, it's a great deal. And you can go to repairingthefoundations.net, repairingthefoundations.net, and you can register. Or you can call. You can call 662 844 5036. Let me repeat that. 662-844-5036 and ask for extension 297. And uh, there'll be a lady there that will help you. Uh, Jan and I will be there. Ed Vitagliano, JJ Jasper. We're going to have a great time at the Pastor and Wife Fishbowl Retreat. Looking forward to it, Alex. It's going to be great. And uh, listen, having been to the Fishbowl Retreat before, I assure you, you will not be disappointed. It's really good. 
Well, um, how about we go to our calls now? And uh, we're going to begin in Arkansas. Don in Arkansas, welcome. You're the first caller on today's edition of Exploring the Word. Well, thank you, Alex. Uh, my, my question is, are we not making a distinction between the end of 1 Thessalonians 4, which is referring to the rapture, and then 1 Thessalonians 5, the day of the Lord and the thief in the night, referring to really the end of the second uh, of the tribulation period. The second coming is the first day of the Lord, second day of the Lord being the end of the millennial period uh, in Second Peter 3.10. Are we not making that distinction between the two? In other words, the First Thessalonians 5, Day of the Lord, Thief in the Night, really referring to the end of the of the seven uh, seven year tribulation period and the second coming. Don, thank mm. you for your great call, Alex. I, I've studied this and studied this. I've read about it, and and Paul is is he laying out the exact time frame? Uh, do you think he's laying it out, or is there some? I'm going to use um, lap over about, okay, here, the day of the Lord, the rapture, or do you think it's in a, a exact time frame? Um, well, you know, in a way, Matthew 24, 44, Jesus said, quote, be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So at the very least, the thief in the night and the, the Lord coming when you don't expect it, it's a call to be ready to be ready and to be faithful. But um, in a way, uh, the day of the Lord, quote unquote, and, you know, First Thessalonians 5, 2 uses the phrase day of the Lord, and many in the Old Testament used it too. But uh, Charles Ryrie, you might rem- remember the Ryrie Study Bible. You yes, that? I have one. Yes. It, brilliant guy. He said, in a way, the, quote, day of the Lord was at least a thousand and seven years. Because you've got rapture, then tribulation, Armageddon, return, then the millennium. And he believed that, um, you know, the day of the Lord was really, he called it this exceedingly long eschatological period. In other words, the the end of things, the consummation of all things. And so... um, you know, what I take away from the First Thessalonians 5, 2 and the Matthew 24, 44 is we're to be ready. Yeah. Um, the, the moment of the trumpet sound, the overlap of, you know, rapture, tribulation, um, we, we simply don't know all the minutia, but we know Christ is coming and we know we want to be found faithful when he does return. Amen. And what this is, don't let this minutia become issues with you. Uh, go back to Acts 1-8 if you want to in following. This same Jesus, which is taken from you, will so come in like manner as you have seen him go. That is a promise. And all the rest of them go from there. He is coming back. And then he will set everything in order. And we are to know some of it, but we don't know every detail of it. it. It's given. And sometimes it's hard to, okay, where does this fit? Where does that fit? One of the things we talk about is the Bema, the judgment seat. We know it's going to happen, but I've heard some good arguments exactly where it might be or where it might not be, Alex. So be careful in putting everything where it goes. I, I do believe we got the big picture. I do believe Christ is coming back, and we're going to be yeah. caught up, and we're going to be with him in the air. 
and and then it, there's going to be tribulation. I believe the seven years is not figurative. I believe it is actual. And then you're going to have the finish of him coming back, his foot on the earth, and you're going to have the millennium. You're going to have the Armageddon in there. So at least get that down. And those of you that are all millennial, just know he's coming back and realize I think we are. But, uh, Alex, I think you're exactly right on that. You know, every detail, uh, we do you think we better be careful about trying to be so specific about things that might have a little bit of a, a placement issue where you place it in the in yeah. the scale of things? Yeah, because there are things that that are explicitly clear, and we stand obviously on those. But then where there's ambiguity, or maybe we just don't know, I think we have to, you know, give grace and give space on that. Amen. But. Hey, uh, down in Texas, Janice. Janice, thanks for holding. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Yes, hello. I, I love your ministry. Thank you for it. My question is about the parable of the sower in Mark 4, 1 through 12, particularly verse 12. And are, what I'm wondering, are they saved and unsaved? Or are they, uh, what, what is the truth about that? Okay, mm. so great, great ones. We know, and I, I'm going to set this up, Alex, and turn it over to you. We know the first bunch, they're lost. We know the fourth group, they're saved. There's questions about the second and the third one. You catch what I'm saying, you know? And I and, do. and what I tell folks, and when I preach it, I say, you want to be in that fourth group. Don't be caught up with the things of this world etching out Christ. Your family, was he really saved? Was she really saved? Go all the way. But go ahead, Alex. Answer Genesis specific. Maybe that'll help. Well, <clears throat> you know, a lot of uh, commentators have said that this is really a parable about the, the soils, at being the condition of the human heart, you know? Um, the the one fell among good soil, verse 8, and as they grew up and increased, yielded a crop 30, 60, 100 fold. He who has ears, let him hear. And so when he was alone, his followers began to say, you know, explain. And in verse 11, I mean, this is not only the apostles, but really believers in general, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, but those who are outside get everything in parables so that, and there's this reference from Isaiah, seeing they may not see and not perceive, hearing they may hear but not understand, otherwise they might return and be forgiven. Bert, this is an interesting thing. The receptivity of the heart of a human and therefore, the ability of the human to comprehend and grasp truth is utterly contingent on how they respond to truth when it comes along. Um, I honestly believe your ability to comprehend truth from God tomorrow is, is in many ways contingent on how receptive you are to the truth God gives you today. And it it wasn't that God wanted bad soil and no crop. It wasn't that God wanted the seeds to die. And it wasn't that God wanted people to see and hear but not perceive and believe. But just like Pharaoh, people harden their own heart. People deaden their own ears. So that's why I honestly believe that it's imperative to respond to truth when God, the Spirit, graciously gives it. Because... How much we can comprehend truth 
down the road is is being shaped by our receptivity to truth today. So don't quench the spirit when you know God is speaking to your heart about salvation, about walking with him. Respond quickly. And also don't do don't wait for a more convenient season. Uh you know, don't wait if God's purging your heart right now concerning your salvation. You don't have to wait to Sunday to the quote the response or invitation. You can come to Christ right now. Alex, thank you for that, Janice. Who's the next caller? Well, let's go. We're going to stay in Texas and talk to Jerry. Jerry in Texas, you are on Exploring the Word. Yes, I was calling about the, uh, Matthew 24, 32 through 34. I was wondering what's, what's, if they were talking about the, what the tree is that they're talking about. And okay. Psalms 90-10. And I, I've got the Psalms and the uh, Hosea. Let's, uh, Bert, do you have the Matthew 24? I am getting there quickly. 24, 32 through, thir- 32 through 34. I got it, brother. All right. Um, oh, okay. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become uh, tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. That's that fig tree, Alex. What happens to the fig tree later? <laughs> well, it, the fig tree gets cursed. It does. Uh, um, now, and and I, I think I know what the import of these scriptures are. Psalm 90 verse 10 says, As for the days of our life, they contain seven, 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for it is soon gone, and we fly away. Hosea 9, verse 10 uh, says, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your forefathers as the earliest fruit on the fig tree in its first season. It goes on, it says, they became as detestable as that which they loved. Um, is Is the import of your question, if you're saying, how do these various scriptures relate uh, we're more than 70 years past the birth of Israel, the fig tree. Is that what you're maybe getting at? Yes, sir. And and how this might relate to the end of time? Is that what you're thinking? Yes, sir. Okay. Well, um, by the way, we don't know. I mean, let me just say this. Many scholars, John Walvard of Dallas Theological Seminary, He's dead now. A, a book I would recommend by John Walvoord. It was W-A-L-V-O-O-R-D. Brilliant, godly man. And he, he's passed on, hasn't he, Bert? He has, yes. But he, he wrote a book years ago called Oil, Armageddon, and the Middle East. Brilliant book. And Walvoord and other scholars would say, quote, the budding of the fig tree is very probably a reference to the rebirth of the nation of Israel. Now, like Psalm 90.10, the days of a man being 70 years and maybe 80, many have said, and, and in the context of Matthew 24, this generation, the generation that sees these things will not pass away till all things be fulfilled. Many people have said, well, if a generation or the life of a man is 70 years, will 70 years from the birth of Israel be the time of Christ's return? Well, we are now 73 years from the rebirth of the nation of Israel. Actually, more like 100 years, if you consider 
that Lord Balfour, Winston Churchill, and a Jewish chemist named Kaim Weizmann, and also uh, David Ben-Gurion, who was one of Israel's first prime ministers. In the early 20th century, the seeds were being sown for the rebirth of Israel, although it really didn't come to fruition until May of 1948. Um, you know, I, I don't know that we can put a specific time other than we know one of the signs, and I want to say Luther and a lot of the Reformers, they felt like the conclusion of the times of the Gentiles uh, and the end of time, and it's interesting, 500 years ago, they were like, we don't know how it's going to happen, but somehow the Jews will go back to Israel. Well, it happened in, in our lifetimes, folks. So I don't know that we can pinpoint a specific time of the return of Christ, but I've got to believe it's it's near. The question is, Bert, does near mean in our lifetime or another decade? or another? I, I honestly don't know, but I, I do think we're watching prophecy be fulfilled. Well, we are, and I agree with that. And again, uh, so get ready. I, I, I Listen. As you see this happening, uh, it just makes my heart grow. And what we started out today in the book of Revelation, we were talking about it earlier. Uh, we, uh, You and I were, Alex, and saying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. That was the last prayer in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, mm-hmm. is come quickly, Lord Jesus. So that was John's desire after he saw the new heavens and the new earth, a vision of it. That's what he saw. I said when he talked about the tribulation, the millennial, his idea was come quickly. And we're still praying that, aren't we? We really are. Folks, you've been listening to Exploring the Word. And remember, you might be the only Bible that somebody reads. Out of 100 people, said D.L. Moody, one might read the Bible, but 99 will read the Christian. So let's be God's witnesses and let's show the world Jesus. We sincerely Thank you for listening to Explore the Word. Pray for AFR. Pray for America. Tell somebody about Exploring the Word. Most of all, though, tell everybody about Jesus. Jesus.